0: hello and welcome to everything else the ft's culture podcast i'm griselda and my co-host al is away at the moment this is a special extra episode a short story by ali smith called i heard it on classic fn it was commissioned by weekend ft for the festive season and it's read here for everything else by the actor olivia williams normal service of our weekly podcast will resume in january until then happy new year It was between Christmas and New
1: Year, and we were in the car between home and the recycling centre. We'd been in the queue now for more than two hours. In this time, we'd moved about a mile and a half. The queue on the other side of the road, going in the opposite direction, was moving at roughly the same rate. If we'd wanted, we could have opened our car windows and got to know the people in the cars next to ours quite well in a brief encounter sort of way, given it was pretty much touching distance through the panes of car glass but nobody even looked at each other. Though we were right next to each other, we all sat looking stonily ahead. No, that's not strictly true. Occasionally someone in a car next to ours gave us a look like we were really outlandish and weird, or like they found something about us distasteful. This made being next to them uncomfortable. Maybe it was because the back of the car was packed full of bags and boxed up stuff, and perhaps this made us look suspect. Though I can't think why. Maybe because they could hear the Beach Boys' Greatest Hits playlist. We were playing it because Belle had insisted. It's not winter. It's summer. It was winter, obviously. But all through Christmas, she'd been playing the new game she'd invented, which she called Classic FN. The F and the N stood for the words fake and news. You played this game simply by claiming that something that was true wasn't true. You said the false thing, as if it was true, then you added the words, I heard it on Classic FN, or just said Classic FN at the end of whatever your statement was, like that fashion that people had of adding the word not after something they'd said. I'm so looking forward to spending all of Christmas with you, not. Or sometimes you just said a blatantly untrue thing with no clue after it, that you knew full well that it was untrue. I don't know why you're doing this, it isn't Christmas. She said it on Christmas morning when we wished a happy Christmas. Shall I take down all these decorations then, I said. But she said it even as she opened her presents. <laughs> it's not as if it's Christmas or anything. I'm just doing this to humour you, classic FN. Then she folded the wrapping paper she'd removed into neat, smoothed squares and put it down beside the unwrapped presents as if it was also a present or as if her presents were equally worthless. Sometimes I look at her and I think, how did I ever have you? How are we even related to each other? Now that Christmas was over and New Year was next, she was playing Classic FM with that too. You're behind on your information sources. If you think there's such a thing as New Year happening this week, there is no New Year this year. It's a fact. I heard it on Classic FM. Why is she listening to so much Classic FM? her father asked when he phoned before Christmas. She always puts the phone on speakerphone so I can hear too. I've never asked her to do such a thing. She's a very thoughtful child. She danced away from the phone laughing. And what does she mean there's no Christmas? His voice, distorting, said. It's a funny game, I said. She's nine years old. Got to go. Thanks for calling. Bye. I pressed the phone off before he could say bye back. Belle was in the back of the car now, squashed against the door by all the boxes and bags on the back seats. Her knees were up against her chest because the car was so full of the boxes, etc. I could see her in the rear-view mirror. She was turned side-on, looking at the man asleep in the sleeping bag on the pavement right next to her. She wound a strand of her hair round a finger. She put the ends of her hair in her mouth. If we're going to the tip, my mother said, where are all these other people going? My mother was in the passenger seat. She meant the queue of cars facing the other way. Tesco's, I said, TK Max sales. To fill their cars with things they've bought so that one day they can take them to the tip and throw them away, my mother said. Ha! Bell said. Bell, I said, stop chewing on your hair. I'm not chewing on my hair, she said. Yes, you are, I said. I can categorically state that there is no hair of mine in my mouth, she said, with a hair in her mouth. She chews her hair when she's bored. She had insisted on coming to the tip. I mean, the recycling centre, with us. It was her own fault if she was bored. She could have stayed at home with my mother. I could have easily taken this stuff to the recycling centre myself. I'd have enjoyed the time on my own. She was still chewing her hair. Belle, I said. I said it in a warning way. My name's not Belle, she said. If you are not my daughter Belle Godden, then who are you? I said. I am definitely not your daughter, Belle Godden, she said. Belle Godden is not my name. Then what is a girl who's not my daughter doing in this car with me and your grandmother, I said. I'm not in this car, she said. Classic FN. In any case, why is this music called summer music? Who is Barbara Ann? Are they getting their hair cut because it's too hot? I don't get it. The Beach Boys are an archetypal summer sound, I said. I don't think this music is a summer anything, she said. This is just people singing in weird high-up and low-down voices. I don't see how that makes them archetypalically summary. Archetypally, I said. Good, 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 good. Vibrations. The playlist had looped round to its start again. My mother sighed. My mother's sighs are so magnificent that when she's staying with us, I can hear her sighing through the actual supposedly brick wall. How far is the tip from here, my mother said. Recycling centre, I said. I looked at the sat-nav. It still said 3.4 miles. I looked at my watch. We'll be there by half-past ten tomorrow morning, I said. My mother sighed again. Her sighing made my chest hurt a bit. When I was a much younger person than I am now, I used to think that it was possible to do something about the sadnesses in people's lives. Now that I'm not so young anymore, I'm not so sure it is. I look at my mother sometimes when she comes to stay and I think, well, sadness is just sadness. It is what it is. You have to just let sadness be. And by the way, Belle said, can someone, somewhere enlighten me why is it called a tip? It's not, I said, it's called a recycling centre. It's called a tip because it's where the things get thrown away that are too big or in too large an amount just to go into the usual rubbish bins, my mother said. Both your answers are incredibly helpful, Belle said, classic FN. But what it being called a tip makes me think is this thought. Would we maybe be better off keeping all this stuff we're taking to the tip to throw away, and then every time we go to a restaurant in the future, instead of leaving money as a tip, we could leave one of these bags of things? Because are we just throwing tips away by taking it to the tip. (laughs) Very witty, I said, not. No, but really, she said, I mean, for instance, a boy at school, this is true, I've seen it online, he showed me the eBay page, he showed us all the page, and he got £40 for a postcard his grandfather got sent to him in like 1970 or something. (laughs) Yes, my mother said, I remember 1970 very well. Because, Gran, it's history now and people pay money for historic things on TV. The boy at school's mother was about to throw it out and he put it on eBay and someone somewhere bought it, £40. There might be loads of historic things in these boxes. It's all going to the tip, my mother said. We're throwing it all away. I don't care what it's worth or not worth. Recycling centre, I said. We're doing something useful with it. I want it all, all of it thrown away, my mother said. What we were taking to the recycling centre was some of the contents of my mother's father's house. By saying my mother's father, I don't mean my grandfather, at least in terms of the usual notions of a grandfather. Well, I mean, he was my mother's father, which means he was, obviously, properly speaking, my grandfather. But he was never a grandfather to me as such. I never met him. My mother, as it happens, also never met him she got a letter about four years ago, telling her she was the inheritor of the contents of a rented house at an address she'd never heard of, in a city she'd never been to. The things belonged to its dead tenant, a complete stranger, her father. she still never been to that city... She paid a removal firm to empty the house into boxes and bags to deliver what was fit to go to charity straight to the local charity shops then to drive what was left after that, the 300 miles to her house and stack it in the back of her garage. But now my mother was selling her house and moving into somewhere with less stairs. They were still unopened, the boxes. The tops of the plastic bags were sealed with parcel tape. They were labelled in block capital handwriting presumably by the removal men. Sundry clothes, poor condit. Books, poor condit. Shoes, boots, poor condit. Private papers, etc. Alex items. Now my car was full of the smell of my mother's garage and behind that the smell of a stranger's belongings. I was worried for my car boot. It had two old dismantled lawnmowers crammed into it, one a foul-smelling petrol mower and an open-topped cardboard box filled with large cans and tins and bottles. Paint? Paint stripper? Poison? But we were on our way to the recycling centre. I looked in the rear-view mirror again. My daughter was chewing her hair, crushed in among the throwaway things. She caught sight of my eyes, looking at her. In any case, she said, what is the tip that we're going to, the tip of... The iceberg, I said. My mother, next to me, sighed. When I went upstairs to say goodnight to Belle that night, she was sitting up reading a torn book, one that looked like it was missing a cover. I'm fast asleep, she said, still reading it. She'd been reading it earlier too, after supper, instead of watching TV with her grandmother and me. I sat on the side of the bed. Where'd you get that book, I said. What is it? "'It's really good. It's all pictures,' she said. "'She flicked through it, holding it to show me. "'There were no pictures. "'It was all words and numbers, paragraphs, "'no illustrations in it at all. (laughs) "'Yeah, right, pictures, classic FN,' I said. "'No, it is,' she said, "'really. "'And, Mum, what's a Maggie?' "'Maggie is short for the name Margaret,' I said, "'like Belle is short for Isabella. "'And, Mum,' she said, "'tell me about the schools you can go to if you're a painter.' "'You mean art school,' I said.' You have to be really good at it to make a living if you're a painter or whatever else they do at art school. It's not what I'd call an ideal profession. Tuck down now. She nestled herself further into the bed. She took the book in under the cover with her. I'm going to go, when I'm an adult, to the school of gentle, she said. Of gentle what, I said. Bellini, she said. You're below the age limit for even thinking about the names of alcoholic drinks, never mind drinking alcohol, and that includes the nice alcohol that your gran and I sometimes drink, I said. I have no idea what you're talking about, she said. Well, that makes two of us, because I almost never have any idea what you're talking about, I said. It's a tragedy, she said. A terrible tragedy, I said, as opposed to a really wonderful tragedy, she said. She sighed a sigh that sounded like a mimicry of my mother. And for a moment I wasn't sure whether to reprimand her for being cheeky. Then I realised she wasn't mimicking anything. It's a bit old and grimy to keep in the bed with you, that old book, I said. I reached for it. She crossed her arms over the broken book and held it against her chest. Belle, I said, give it to me. Look, it's flaking little bits of old spine off all over the nice clean bed. No, she said. If you give it to me, I'll read you to sleep from it, I said. No, it's okay, she said. I put the light out, pulled the door over, left it a little open for the little bit of light to get in. Then, when I could hear she was asleep, I went back in and slipped the book out of her arms without waking her. It was dog-eared and yellowed, I saw in the landing light. It was old. I sat on the top step of the stairs and turned it over in my hands. National Gallery, Trafalgar Square Catalogue, 86th edition, brackets reprint, London, printed for the trustees, M-C-M-X-X-I-X, that was 1929, was it? It was nearly a 100 years old. I opened it at random. Venetian School, a gentleman in an embroidered coat, Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, 1916. I flicked a few pages. Rubens, the horrors of war, left, Europe stands with outstretched arms, Mars, centre, advances right, his shield upheld, Lippi, virgin and child with Saints Jerome and Dominic, Saint Francis in glory. They were paintings, but in words. The words were the names of the painters or the names of the schools, then descriptions of the paintings, the size of them and what they'd been painted on or with, and the places they'd been bought or come from, plus the years of the bequests or the loans to the gallery. But someone had written, in a neat hand, blue ink, now faded, in the margin next to the description of a picture by a painter called Lippi, these words, Copy of Early Botticelli. I looked at the writing. Then I flicked the pages over, looking for any more of the writing. There wasn't anything else. But there were neat blue ink underlinings to a lot of the passages throughout. In a quite long paragraph describing a picture called Adoration of the Magi by someone called Bellini, brackets, Gentile, the person had underlined, in the same now-faded blue, some of the lines, not the ones about Mary and Joseph and the baby, or what the picture was mostly about. Instead, the lines underlined were about the stuff going on behind the family. Right distance, a walled and turreted castle. Centre, the sea, a flock of sheep on the shore. Left, mid-distance, beneath a cliff, horsemen and camels descending. The star in the sky left. Magi, not Maggie. I had an urge to wake her and tell her. The Magi is what they call the wise men, the kings who bring the gifts to the child. I'll tell her tomorrow. For now, I sat on the stairs. I sat there for about half an hour. I went through the book alphabetically, reading all the neatly underlined places. Bonifazio, Adoration of the Magi. Other figures and two horses behind. Botticelli, the Nativity. Background of trees, sky of pale graded blue, a golden firmament. In the sky, a choir of twelve angels holding olive branches, whence scrolls and crowns depend. The angels in white, bronze green and gold, sage green and pale rose. All the men and angels hold or are crowned with olive boughs. School of Botticelli, Adoration of the Magi. In the distance, a mountainous landscape. Bramantino, adoration of the kings. Left background, a ruined Renaissance building, part in sunlight. Right, high limestone mountains. Clarsen's, the nativity. Through arches in the background wall of dark grey stone, the announcement to the shepherds and the three kings led by the star. By the time I got to the letter D in the list... I'd worked out that the person who'd once had this book was particularly interested in pictures that were all of the same subject. The Christmas ones. Because there were no markings on the descriptions of the pictures that were more generally religious, no underlines on any Madonnas and children or crucifixions and so on, and none on the ones that were just pictures of hunters or ladies or gentlemen or festivals or classical figures, etc. But they were always about what was happening elsewhere or had happened or was about to happen, behind the main thing happening. Whoever he was, he'd had a National Gallery catalogue from the year 1929, and he read through it, with the aim of thinking about or comparing these distant background views. Soon I heard the front room door open and my mother going through to the kitchen. I really don't like this time of year, my mother had told me earlier this evening while we were loading the dishwasher. "'I really don't like winter.' "'It's not winter,' I'd said. "'It's summer. I heard it on Classic FN.' "'Now I sensed her moving things, "'switching the kettle on, "'getting cups and spoons out of the dishwasher "'noisily enough for me to know she was wondering where I was, "'but all the same didn't wish to intrude "'if I happened to be busy with something private. "'I think this might be your father's handwriting,' I said. "'I showed her the page. "'Did you ever see his writing?' I said. No, my mother said. She closed it. She held the book on her lap. Maybe he liked pictures. I mean, art or something, I said. Maybe he was something to do with pictures. I never even knew what colour his hair was, she said. She looked back up at me. She shrugged. I took the book. I opened it again. Look, I said. He underlined all these things. He's obviously interested in the birth, but especially in what's happening around it, more than the birth itself. I found a page with underlining. It's kind of beautiful, I said. It's kind of amazing we found it, if it's him. The star in the sky left, she said. <laughs> he left all right, my mother, with a newborn. Virgin birth, I said. She laughed out loud, so did I. What I don't understand, she said, what I will never understand is how he knew I was his daughter and even where I lived, he could know these things well enough to write them into a will but never to be in, you know, touch. I used to stand at the window when I was a child and stare out at the street and at the hill behind the houses and the fields on the hill and wonder if I might be seeing him somewhere in that view and just not knowing it was him. I used to walk along streets and wonder if maybe I'd passed him and not known I'd passed him. She looked at me with a sharp pierce of the Christmas tree lights behind her head. He cared more about the contents of his house than he ever cared about me, she said. He left me to them, not them to me. Then she said, throw that book away. I took the book through to the kitchen and put it in the pan cupboard behind the dishes we never use anymore. Tonight, if I had one of the sleepless nights, I'd come down and sit on the sideboard like a child and read the beautiful underlinings. I closed the cupboard door and I thought of my own dead father. I tried to imagine never having had him. I thought of my mother, asleep in the front seat of the car this afternoon, while I went back and forth with the boxes and threw someone's things into the skips. The star in the sky left. She'd read it and thought of her father. I'd read it and thought of Belle. We'd stood on the metal balconies above the giant skips, me and Belle. I'd been ripping open the plastic bags and flinging or emptying the things straight in, looking at them as little as possible. I'd upended boxes so that everything in them fell in first, so that when I looked down into the skip, the stranger's stuff was already indistinguishable from all the other stranger's rubbish below. The skips were painted bright green. They were huge. A person could live in one of these if it wasn't full of all this thrown-away stuff, Bell had said. They should make these into houses for people. They are as big as small houses, and all this stuff, people could be using all these things we're throwing away. I picked up the old handle from one of the dead lawnmowers and got ready to throw. It was painted yellow and green and shaped like a set of very small handlebars. I could use that for making a new kind of scooter or bike, Belle said. Or as a two-handled walking stick when I'm old. One handle for each hand. Can I have it? No, I said. I threw it into the skip. Belle frowned. I like that thing you've just thrown away better than some of my Christmas presents, she said. I'd have preferred to have that thing you've just thrown away rather than this stupid hairdryer. Classic FN, I said, or truth? Truth, Bell said. Don't tell your father when he phones, I said. It's a good hairdryer. Your dad bought it with love. I hate it, Bell said, the hairdryer of love. Just classic FN that last statement for me, will you, I said. I love it, Bell said. It was times a zillion and a half my favourite Christmas present this year. She leaned over the skip and tried to reach the yellow lawnmower handle we'd just thrown away. Lucky for me, you're too small to reach that, I said. Yes, but if I pile all these books up into a kind of staircase, I can make myself taller and almost reach it, she said. You'll fall in, I said. And what if we can't find you in among all the rubbish and me and Gran have to drive home without you and someone comes to empty the skip and you get recycled? I will enjoy it, whatever happens to me, she said. That's the spirit, I said. I went to get what was left out of the car. My mother had fallen asleep in the front seat. Her hands on her lap looked old. I got the blanket out of the boot and put it over her knees and hands. When I got back, Bella had made a little book staircase and was on her way up it to lean over. Books were slipping about beneath her trainers. I caught her, picked her up under her arms, not so easy anymore, and I carried her down the steps and put her down. Then I gave her a stern look. You'll kill yourself, I said, and then what will I do? A woman was pushing bottles through the holes in the skip next to us. I had my eye on her the whole time. No worries, she said. Thanks, I said. I appreciate that. She was a nice person. I could tell immediately. You don't work behind the counter of a dry cleaner for long without being able to tell the true from the false, believe me. She smiled over her shoulder at me and then at Belle. Clever one, she said. She's got a lot to give. She really does, I said. I put my arms around Belle. Belle weaseled out from under me, but then came and stood next to me, leaned against me instead. Do you have a nice Christmas, the woman said. What are you talking about, Belle said. It's summer. Look at the leaves on the trees. She pointed at the bare spindly things, hardly even trees, growing out of the ground by the fence posts at the back of the recycling plant. She's not being rude. I'm sorry. It's a game, I said. "'It's about how easy it is to say that things that are true "'aren't true and vice versa.' "'Whatever floats your boat,' the woman said. "'Whatever gets us through the night. "'Have a lovely rest of your holidays anyway "'and a very happy new year.' "'After she'd gone, Belle sat on the pile of books "'with her arms folded. "'I dismantled it round her in armfuls, "'which I carried along to the next skip, "'to the paper recycling one, "'and threw as many as I could "'on top of its already overfull contents. "'Want to help?' I called.' These skips would make good boats, Belle called. Also, they're very brightly colored, which would help if anyone was out looking for you if you were lost at sea. She picked up an old book. Why are skips called skips? she said. I've no idea, I said. But she'd already forgotten she'd even asked the question. She was holding the old book out in front of her like a dance partner. She danced, down the metal steps with it, and skipped around in the cardboard slush and the blowing about shreds of plastic. in the background, a building with angled turrets. in the distance, a village. background left and center, dark brown trees and a ruined building with two half-naked men. right, landscape with blue, gray and pink sky in which storm clouds partly conceal a pink and yellow sun. in the background, the star and the city of Bethlehem with horsemen and other travelers issuing from one of the gates. in the background An angel appears to the shepherds. Background left, a brown shed. Right, a brown hilly landscape with buildings and two shepherds. Background right, the other kings in crimson and green with their suite enter through a doorway. Through a wall opening centre, a hilly landscape with a castle. Centre background, the ox and ass in a stall below a tree. Farm in left distance, mountains and sunrise sky. In the background left, two shepherds. Above right, angels bringing the tidings. Red rocks in left background, a low hill centre, a timber stable right. Right, in half-light, four men and a boy holding a hound. Behind, a stable of hurdles. Landscape, Background Left centre, Background The people coming for the census Left, the shepherds receiving the tidings Behind centre, St Joseph in brown Right, a woman with a basket in a doorway Dark sky and angel with scroll above Below, an old woman bending to left Two kneeling shepherds and two boys, one offering a bird Right, middle distance, the Magi approaching. Blue sky through an archway, left.
0: That was Olivia Williams reading Ali Smith's short story, I Heard It on Classic FN. It was specially commissioned by the FT Books Desk, Rebecca Rose and Laurie and Kite. Everything else will be back in a few weeks. Until then, Happy New Year. And if you want to read Ali Smith's short story online, go to fd.com slash life Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface.